0: Jump right into the message, and uh, we are in week five of a series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And essentially, what we're doing is we're looking at seven statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross because. Uh, These statements are showing us exactly how Jesus lived through the worst day that he ever faced. And what's interesting is that the worst day he faced, we call it Good Friday, but it was anything but good for him. Jesus went through more in a 12-hour period than you and I face on a regular basis. First he was betrayed, he was abandoned, then he was beaten and spit upon, publicly humiliated, and then tortured until he was murdered on a cross. That's a bad day right there. And that happened all within a 12-hour period. And so we're looking at how Jesus faced that and learning lessons from the statements he made on the cross. For some of you, if you're here today and you say, well, Aaron, this is a great message, but I'm not really going through a bad day right now. Well, that's awesome. Uh, It means that you're actually headed towards a bad day. Aren't you all encouraged this morning? Glad you came to church. (laughs) The truth is about our lives is that you're either headed out of a bad day or you're potentially headed towards one, we, we, we face them. The bad days come and go. That's why we're doing the first part of our theme message from Hebrews 12. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's important that as we go through our bad days that we look to him because he, he began and finished this race we're in, and we're going to study how he did it. We're going to look at it, go over it time and time again, and look at Jesus' life and see how he faced one of the worst moments that he'd ever been through. It's because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So what we're doing is we're watching what he did. We're, we're taking lessons from the statements that he made and learning from him. Now, for the past four weeks, we looked at the first four statements that Jesus made. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear those, to go back and give those a listen. You can check those out on iTunes or on our app you can listen to them there or they're even on Spotify you can find us Simple Church Ohio is all you have to do to to locate us uh, or you can watch a rebroadcasting of the the video of it on our Facebook account but, but either way I would encourage you those messages will be encouraging to you so this week we're looking at the fifth statement that Jesus made and let me get, kind of give you some context for you uh, Jesus has already been crucified the cross has been raised up He's already interacted with his mom. He's interacted with uh, the thieves that were on the cross already, and the sky has already fallen black. It's like noon, and it's dark outside, and the situation went from bad to worse. And last week, we looked at Jesus in his most human moment, and, and this week, we're looking at him in his most vulnerable moment because Jesus did something that none of us like to do And that is, he had to ask for help. Look at John, verse 19, verses 28. He said this. uh, It says this, Later, knowing that all was now completed, that Jesus knew that everything he needed to do was done, there was a whole bunch of prophecies about him made, and you can find all those in the Old Testament, first part of your Bible. These prophecies that were made about who Jesus would be and what he would go through and what he would do, all those things were done so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty, and in this moment, with this statement, Jesus teaches us a lesson. Because, see, Jesus couldn't get a drink of water on his own. Now, he could have, but it would have meant him coming down from the cross, which we know from Scripture Jesus had the ability to do. He's the Son of God. He could have taken himself off there. Yet, he chose to remain on the cross and to surrender his life for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have heaven. And so, in this moment, he, he could not help himself. He had to ask for a drink. And so we learn That you and I need to be human enough to acknowledge our need. We need to be human enough to acknowledge our need. When we're going through our bad days, we can be like Jesus. We can be transparent and we can learn from him that we can face these things differently if we're willing to admit that we need help. Now, I know this isn't something that we like to do, especially us guys in the room. None of us like to ask for help. We don't like to stop and ask for directions. We buy furniture from Ikea. We don't even bother with them, do we, guys? Nope, we don't. And it's not just the guys. There's plenty of women in this room, too. You guys don't, we don't like to ask for help. It's something we feel like we should be able to do, it. I'm not sure if it's the American way or it has something to do with pride, but we, well, I know it does, but we don't, we don't want to ask for help. We don't like it. And we struggle with admitting that we need help. And I'll tell you that we can see this struggle that starts all the way back in the very beginning of creation. That's right, in the book of Genesis, the story is told of how God creates the first man and the first woman, that's Adam and Eve, and how they walked daily with God. He spent time with them, walking in the garden every day. And at some point in time, Adam and Eve made a mistake. They made a decision to go against God's best for them and to eat from a a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they, they sinned. And as a result of that, God still comes to the garden. He knows that they made a mistake. He still comes to the garden and is looking for them, and Adam and Eve did something very different. They didn't make themselves known to God. They didn't run towards relationship with him. No, instead, Genesis 3.10 says this to, this is Adam responding to God when God asked him why he hid. He said, I heard you in the garden, And I was, everybody say, afraid. He was afraid. That's the issue here. That is the reason why so many of us, just like Adam, he said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In other words, he realized, I messed up. I made a mistake. And I was afraid of my relational status with you, and so I went and hid. And I think that happens to every single one of us. We, we let fear drive us to hide ourselves in relationship with people. And fear really comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of those fears are real. Some of them are inherited. Some of you have fears in, in, in your life that were there since you were like a little kid. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you're afraid of, but I'm not really a big fan of insects. Anybody like insects in here? I do not like them. I don't like the little creepy crawly things. Like, I'm fine that they're here. I know that they have a purpose on this earth, and I can respect that, but at a distance. I don't want them near me, and, uh, and that's just how I feel about it. There's one particular ones in particular. There's one, one, one group of insects that I don't like, and I call them. I think this is, this is like uh, the, the co- a common name for them. It's called silverfish. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, there it is. See? My people. I said silverfish first service, and they were like, what's a silverfish? I'm like, well, it looks like a belly button lint with lots of hair. You know what I'm saying? That's what they look like. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. They're disgusting little creatures. And here's the thing. We're not talking about like millipedes or centipedes. You know, they just wiggle along like this, and you can see them. Like there's a millipede, and an hour later, he's right there, right? But not with a silverfish. A silverfish, sees you hear over, she's like, they come at you. Silverfish is one of those things, got lots of legs, and the thing that creeps me out is not just how they look, it's how fast they move. See, a fil- silverfish likes to hide up underneath a box or something like that, and it'll take you, for, like, by surprise. You lift that box up, and they make a mad dash, not away from you, but towards you, because they think you are a box that they can hide under. It's terrifying. I don't know if you can see that, but I'm a furry guy. My shirt just raised up about an inch off my body, right? Every hair is standing up all over. I do not like silverfish. Oh, is there, oh there's a picture up there. Oh, there they are. That's them. They get that. It's belly button lint with legs. You know what I'm saying? They're disgusting. All right, take it down, take it down, take it down. I didn't even know they had that. They must not have had that first service. Anyway. We're all afraid is my point. We, we all have something we don't like, we're afraid of. And, and the truth is, is you can't get stuck in that place of fear. If you get trapped in that place of fear, then, then our response to it is that we hide. And I've hidden from a few silverfish in my life. We don't want to hide relationally. We can't go on acting like everything is okay when it's not. We hide our pain, we hide our bad days, and we ultimately hide our issues. Another way this plays out relationally is when somebody asks you, How you doing? Somebody says, how you doing, right? I like Now, I'm an introvert, and I'm not really for small talk anyway, and this falls underneath that small talk category. Like, I try to internalize it and go, how am I doing? Now, should I just go ahead and be honest with them? Are they, are they really interested? Do they want the whole conversation? Or are they just trying to say, you know, the, the common, how you doing, so that I respond with, I'm good, and you? And they'll go, I'm good, and you? And then we look at the floor and put our hands in our pockets and don't talk to each other. Like, it's just this common greeting. But I think in this greeting is also found what we're doing. We're masking. We're hiding it. Somebody says, how you doing? You say, I'm, I'm good. And you, when you're just lying through your teeth, everything is not good. Everything is bad. But we say, I'm good. I'm good. And you, or another way we we respond is if you grew up in church, like I did, they'd tell you, well, you respond how God sees you. And you say, well, I'm blessed and highly favored. Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And, and that's great. That's how God sees you. But your life is a mess. You don't feel blessed and highly favored, right? You feel cursed and spit upon, like, right? Like, I am not, I am not the, in the best situation. Or people respond, you know, like with this one. And I'm not really sure why they respond this way, but you say, how you doing? They say, well, better now that I'm talking to you. And it's almost like, are you coming on to me right now? I'm not really sure what's happening, you know? I'm trying to make sense of it. Or, or this one, this one's kind of harsh. They say, well, I'm like you, but better. Ooh, that's a little, that's a little rough, isn't it? Or they say, well, if I was doing any better, I'd be twins. Now I'm not sure exactly what that means. That you're doing so good that there might be two of you? Like, can you help me reconcile that, make sense of that? Or somebody, you know somebody like this, they're the Debbie Downer in your in your life. You ask them how they're doing, they say, well, can't complain. Nobody'd listen anyhow. Wah <laughs> wah. Right? You know somebody like that, or, or there's somebody in your life that's really bubbly, and they'll say this one. They'll say, well, I'm nice and dandy like cotton candy, or they'll rhyme something else. You know what I mean? My favorite response to this, because it's so ambiguous, is to just go, living the dream, man. Living the dream. And I ask them back, how you doing? They say the same thing. I mean, it just means nothing. It's like, oh, whatever I'm doing is exactly what I want to be doing, and it, it is not. But we hide behind these masks. We hide behind these responses. We carry on with this banter. And ultimately, the reason we don't tell people what's really going on when they say, how you doing, is because we're scared. We are afraid. We're afraid of being transparent. But we need to understand that there is better. God has better for us and that we can be like Jesus and reach out and be honest and open with people. And I think there's three things that you and I are afraid of that keep us from being transparent. The first one is the fear of being hurt. Every single one of us in here has been in a relationship. You're in relationships right now. You have business relationships, personal relationships. You've got all kinds of relationships galore. And it is likely that you have been hurt, are being hurt, or will be hurt by people that you're in relationship with. And as a result of being hurt, your response is to push away from relationships. To say, well, that was not pleasant. Or some of us even go so far as to say, never again. Never again. I'm never going to allow this to happen again. I'm not going to be hurt the way that I was hurt before, so I'm not going to be as transparent and authentic and real as I was before. I'm just going to keep people at arm's distance. I'm going to build up this little wall, and I'm going to live here with my hurts in this little place, and I'm going to be fine. Nobody's ever going to touch my life in that way again. But you need to understand if this is you, and I'm talking about you, staying in this place is unhealthy, and it's not good for you. You can't stay there. You got to let that hurt out. You got to get past that pain. David said this in Psalm 32. He said, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Now, I'm sorry. Sometimes I read the Bible and I read things and I'm like, that's just a disgusting way to describe that. All the juices of my life just dried up. Ugh. Thanks, David. He says, then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. In other words, I'll tell him. He said, suddenly the pressure was gone. David is saying, just like the the wise theologian and philosopher, Shrek said, better out than in, I always say. (laughs) You want to let it out. You want to say something to somebody, you need to let that hurt get out. Get rid of it. Don't get trapped by that hurt. The second fear we have is the fear of rejection. Man, I hate this one. This is like one of the number one fears in my life. I don't like being rejected. And all of us know this pain. We, we've applied for a credit card or applied, applied for a loan and got rejected. And it's like they almost rejected like the whole, our whole person. Like wow, you don't think I have the ability to pay something back? Like you've just devalued my entire life's experience here. Or maybe you've been rejected by somebody that you ask out. Anybody ever been rejected before? Come on, I know there's more than just me in this room. <laughs> I asked this thing, so I appreciate that. He's, he's like holding it high so I can see right here. I got rejected by a girl in high school. I shared my feelings with her during class one day. I was like, hey, I just need you to know. I think you're fine. And she was like, oh, that's, and no, that's not what I said at all. Not at all. And uh, those aren't the words I use. I was just giving you the heart uh, behind it. So anyway, because um, <laughs> I was not that cool in school, <laughs> just being honest. And she looked at me, and she, she was like, oh, that's interesting. And she turns and has a conversation with one of my classmates who said, so what are you going to do with all that? What are you going to do with that? And she's pointing at me. And, and she says right in front of me, well, I'm just going to let it blow over. And she did. Ouch. We all hate rejection. We hate it so much that, that we just, we, we, we kind of, it chips away at our heart. And so we fight rejection. And the way we fight rejection is by doing whatever it takes to be accepted. You can see this playing out beautifully in an example. I know I use it a lot. And I'm not against it, okay? I just need you to understand the impact that it's having on your life. But social media proves my point to a T. The things we are willing to do. I have never, ever in my life, not once, Had a desire to sit in a lawn chair in my backyard and have a bucket of ice water poured on my head. But social media, and on and on go the challenges in the list, right? There's things we do because we want to be accepted. There's things we do because we want to get the likes. And social media is interesting. We only post our highlight reels. We only post our good days. We, we gotta make sure we got the right filter, and, and if you wanna know how to post or get, take the picture the right way, talk to my wife, because she always seems to be able to do it. She says, you gotta hold it up, and you gotta look a certain way at the camera, and I'm always just like, <laughs> like, I just look like a doofus And every one of my pictures. She's like, babe, you look terrible. I'm like, have you seen all of my pictures? I look terrible in all of my pictures. This is just me, this is my face, thanks. But we don't, we don't post stuff that looks bad on Facebook. We don't get in a fight with our spouse and say, this is really good. We should be live streaming this right now. Hey, kid, go get the camera. You know? we, don't, we don't do that. We don't make a mess on the job and then take pictures of it and go, look what I did. I'm such a doofus. Like, you know, we, we, we don't share our failures. We, we post only the good things. Why? Because we want acceptance. Ah, even more. Let me just whittle it down to one thing we all want. We want the like. We want you to hit the like button. Social media is having such a huge impact on our lives. A recent study said that 89% of people on social media say that likes determine their happiness. 89%. 40% of those people say that if they didn't get likes and didn't get follows, that their happiness would leave. In addition to that, Here's what you need to know about the people who are participating and liking all your stuff. 70% of, 70% of people that are liking all your stuff say the only reason they do it is because they, they know you live for their likes. In other words, they don't care what you had for dinner last night. They just know that you need a like. Oh, nobody's liked this one yet. I'll go ahead and give them one. You ever done that for somebody before? Don't point at them if they're in the room if you've done it. I'm just saying, like, you ever done that? Nobody's liked this yet? Facebook even encourages you. Be the first to like, and you're like, oh, Yes, I was the first one to like. This one's been sitting here for 10 days, but I'm on it. Let's do it. (laughs) Social media has made it so that our mental stability is based on likes and emotes, and it all boils down to craving acceptance. When I was younger, I had a friend that lived next door. His name was Tommy, and he had a sister named Stephanie. Stephanie. And uh, Tommy wasn't around this, on this one particular day, and I would hang out with both of them. They were, they were really close in age with me, and, and uh, I would hang out with both of them. And Steph, Steph had a girl that, uh, one of her friends, her name was Marie, and I had a crush on Marie. And one day, I was hanging out over there, and we had just finished playing with the new kids on the block, Barbie dolls. You don't know which ones I'm talking about. And, uh, and they said, you know what would be really funny? Let's dress up Aaron like a girl. And I thought, that sounds like a great idea. Because I wanted to be accepted. And so I let them dress me up. They did my hair, and they did my makeup, and put me in a blouse and a bra, and stuffed it with some socks, and put me in a skirt. And nobody had camera phones back then, thank God for that, right? You know, so we didn't have access to like capture the moment, but I'm still sharing it with you. See, it's all about being transparent, honest. Look what a good model I am. So here's here's what happened. They said, that's really funny, but you know what would be funnier? is if we took Aaron, now dressed up in these clothes, down to Kentucky Fried Chicken where his older brother works, let's go in there and let's embarrass his older brother. And I was like, yes, that sounds like fun. So we did. We went down to Kentucky Fried Chicken. My older brother could care less, but you know who got laughed at? Not him. This guy right here in a dress, and my boy socks and my boy tennis shoes, but, but fully dressed like a girl. I got laughed at. And I went home, and my very conservative parents were very, very upset and concerned reasonably so. And I distinctly remember when my dad said, you know why he did that? He said he's looking for acceptance. And he was right. We do all kinds of things in our lives to obtain acceptance. Some of them are unhealthy things. Some of them are things that that are not good for us. But this is nothing new. Even in biblical times, Jesus said this about a group of people, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They were after the praise of man. They were after likes on Facebook more than they were their heavenly father from heaven saying, I'm digging what you're doing. It's good. I like it. If I could put a heart on it, I would. They were after man's approval. They craved it. And it's a trap for our lives to crave acceptance from people. David knew that. He said this, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I think this is a really nice way for saying thank you for making me weird. Thank you for not making me like everybody else. Thank you for not making me look like everyone. Thank you for making me different. Thank you for wiring me specifically to do a thing. Thank you. Thanks for making me complex. He goes on to say, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. He's talking about himself. He beat the trap of acceptance He beat rejection because he knew God had accepted him. He knew that God had made him and loved him just the way that he was. The third fear that we have is the fear of being exposed. Man, we hate this one. We really push hard against this one. I'm talking about exposing your area of weaknesses. Every single one of us has a weakness in our life. And those of you that are trying to cover your weaknesses, everybody in your life already knows that that's your weakness. In fact, they're talking about it behind your back. They know the areas that you're weak. You're not hiding it from anybody. The problem with weaknesses is they are apparent. But we hide them still because we tell ourselves a story, we repeat a story that the enemy tells us that if they only knew that I was struggling with this, if they only knew that I was weak in this area, then they wouldn't respect me, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't be in my life. If they only knew, is the story we tell. And as a result of it, we spend a whole lot of time covering up our weaknesses, trying to hide our weaknesses from other people. But let me do this, let me liberate you for just a minute. I need you to understand that every single one of you in this room, including me, all of us, we all messed up. Every single one of us is a hot mess. We are. All of us are. In fact, the church is just a hospital. And all of us that are in here today, we're in a hospital getting well. Some of us have just been here a little bit longer than the others. We're all a mess. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, you're a mess. See? It's okay. It's freeing, right? You're a mess. We're all a mess. Welcome to it. Welcome to the mess. But here's the deal. See, the enemy wants you to believe that you are isolated, The enemy wants you to believe that you are alone in your weakness. That there's nobody else going through the struggle that you're going through. There's nobody else going through the pain that you're dealing with. The enemy wants you to believe that because if he can keep you isolated, he can pick you off easier. That's his goal. And so, because you believe that you're the only one with the issue, you wear a mask. You fear being exposed. But check it out, though. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, we refuse to wear masks and play games. Rather, we keep up everything or we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display so that those who want to see or who want to can see. Well, you say, see what? See that their life was, well, that they weren't perfect? To see that they were messed up too? To see that they were people that were in need of grace? That they were people that needed a Savior? They were people that needed God? John says it this way in 1 John, he said, but if we walk in the light, meaning everything's exposed, as Jesus is in the light, because see, Jesus went ahead of us, he lived in the light, he lived a life that was transparent, he said, if we do this, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, we have a relationship with one another. We fear that exposure, and and the Bible's saying, just get it out. Show your weakness, it builds your relationship. So how do we get there? How do we become transparent people like Jesus? How do we acknowledge our need? How? Well, the simple and short answer is we have to ask for help. But it matters in which context and where you seek that help. So let me, let me, let me tell you this. That asking for help doesn't mean that you're weak. It simply means that you're human. It simply means that you're human. A couple years ago, man, I, I was... I was uh, uh, serving some, some married couples and I was walking with them through some relational issues and on Sunday nights after I would preach on Sunday morning and, and visit, visit a, a recovery ministry that afternoon in the evenings I would visit with people up to, two, up to three couples a night and I remember during this season of walking with them and counseling with them which by the way was way outside of my wheelhouse I never should have been doing that But as I'm walking through all this, I'm not saying that I don't have godly counsel for you. I mean being like a counselor. My life was just not equipped for that way. I just want you to understand what I mean. And I didn't understand any of that. And so as I'm walking through this and walking through all this darkness with other people, I was not equipped like a counselor to have an outlet of my own to deal with the darkness that I was listening to and talking about all the time. Next thing I know, one evening, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And it scared me, because if you know me, I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. i got a song in my heart. I'm whistling. I'm happy. And it scared me to have these dark thoughts. And I started thinking. I started telling myself a story that if I told my wife, she wouldn't love me, that she would question me. If I told the people at my church, they would look at me and say, you're not the kind of leader that I need you to be. If I shared this with anybody, they would leave my life because they'd say, all right, weirdo. I started telling myself a story, and I kept it inside, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and so I went to my wife, and I said, babe, I don't know what to do. I said, this is not what I want to do with my life, but these are the dark thoughts that I'm sitting in the room with and having conversations with. I don't even know where it's coming from. I don't understand it. And she said, we need to get you to a counselor. I was like, you're right. We made an appointment with a counselor. And then I shared with with our associate pastor here at this church. And then I began having conversations with other people. I began bringing it into the light and asking for help because I had no idea how to deal with it. And it was as a result of being transparent and asking for help that I found freedom. It's how I broke free from the hopelessness and despair that was in my life. It was how I got my joy back. It's how I grew personally And relationally, because as I begin to share with other people, they begin to share their issues too. It's how God got glory as he made my mess his message. See, because now I stand in dark places and I wave a torch of truth and I say, listen, there's a way out of this pain, but it's not the way that you think it is. It's through being transparent and being honest. God has something better for you. It's acknowledging your need. It's asking for help. And listen, I want God to transform this time in your life as well. I want you to know him better than you've ever known him before. And so let me show you how to do it. There's three decisions you can make today towards transparency. The first one is to establish a crew. Establish a crew. Man, you need a group of people around you, your tribe, your crew people that will support you people that will love you people that will be a shoulder that you can cry on because let me tell you something on your worst days one of your greatest regrets will be that you did not invest in relationships to have them around you that will be one of your greatest regrets that you are facing that situation alone there're going to be days that you're going to need people to carry you people to support you people that you can come to and say I need help without explaining yourself i had to do this a couple months ago i went to him and said guys I went to my pastors, I went to my friends, I went to people in this church, and I said, listen, here's what I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to do. I need to pray about this for the next five days. I didn't give them any details, I didn't explain anything, and they said, bet, we're on. And I got text messages every day of people that rallied around and were supporting me for the next five days, praying with me, joining me in that time. No questions asked. Every day getting text messages, man, we're praying for you today. Hey, we're praying today. You're going to need people like that too. You're going to need people in very practical ways as well. Hey, I need you to take care of the kids so I can go handle this. I need you to go to the store and get this. Hey, I'm down on my luck and I need some money until Friday. Like whatever that situation is, you're going to need people in your life to help you, to support you. That's why I like that the Bible talks about the church. That means all of us. It calls the church is a building because this is what we do best. We support one another. The Bible talks about us as, as being pieces of the house, and the house can't be built lest there be a foundation. That brick upon brick, as God is laying us, He's building us into this beautiful thing that we support one another. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 20, Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Brick upon brick. We are being built into this beautiful house for God that he can use. And let me tell you, one of the easiest ways to do that here at this church, to get yourself a crew, is to join a grow group. I know grow groups have been going for a few weeks now, and we're down into the last last month or so of them. But listen, nobody is going to be upset if you dive in right now. There will be zero people mad that you joined their group this late in the season. Zero people. That means you can dive in right now. You can jump in. And join a group. There's activity-based groups, there's outreach-based groups, there's study-based groups, and all of them would love to have you in a group. You can get to know some people that will love on you, and, and, and it's a place where you can become transparent and take off your mask. You need to have people around you, and a group is a great way to do it. Get a tribe, get a crew. The second decision that you can make today is to enlist an army. Enlist an army. Look, support is good, But more more important than support at times is protection. You're going to need people that are of like mind with you, of like calling, of like purpose, of like heart, to link arms with you and to not only just support you, but to be somebody that prays for you, to be somebody that will go on the assault and to attack as well, to, to deal with with the enemy that that wants to destroy your life, people that will fight for you and fight with you because you're never more protected than when you're surrounded by people who want to see you win. You're never more protected. A few weeks ago, I I, I love this that this happened. I'm not happy that it happened, but a few weeks ago somebody was attacking me and unfortunately for them, (laughs) I say that because they were attacking me to one of my friends And one of my friends, my friend responded and just shut all that down immediately because he loved me. He protected me. But not only that, he protected who I am. And he said, if you've got an issue with Aaron, you know you can go to him and you can talk to him. And he protected the unity of this church because he knows that I value that and I love that. You're going to need people in your life to protect what God has called you to do. You're going to need people in your life to protect your family. You're gonna need people in your life to serve you in that way. We need an army. That's why I like it that the Bible says the church is a flock. The church is a flock. In Luke 12, it says, so so don't be afraid, little flock. He's talking about the group of us together. For it gives your your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. When you're in the flock, you're protected. Then in fact, the flock provides a whole bunch of people around you so that the enemy can't take you out. If the enemy can get you separated from the flock, You become his main target. You need an army around you, people that are of one heart, one mind, and one purpose. People that love you and will support you but protect you as well. Another easy way to do that here, yes, the groups are awesome, but another way to do that is joining one of the dream teams. Man, the dream team is who serves here. You saw them in the parking lot as you came in. They greeted you at the door. They served your coffee this morning. They take care of your kids. They play on this stage. They do so much. You get into a group of people who are serving together. It's another way for you to get to know people that will love you, support you, and protect you. Some of you are like, well, I've been here for a while, Aaron, at Simple Church, and, and I'm just waiting on a personal invitation to get involved in a team. Here's your personal invitation. Join a team. We would love for you to be on a team. Not only do we need you, but we want you. We want you in our flock. We want you in our, in our army. Enlist an army. And this last one is probably the hardest one for each and every single one of us. The last decision you can make towards transparency is difficult. Because each and every single one of us make mistakes. And as a result of that, we beat ourselves up. Some of you, because of the mistakes that you've made, you'd even say, I don't even like myself. And as a result of not liking myself, and as a result of what I'm going through, I don't like me, and I know you won't like me. In fact, I would even say that I'm unlovable, that it's not possible for you to love me. But if we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to be transparent, we need to learn to embrace being loved. Embrace being loved. Because we've all made mistakes. We're all going through something difficult. We've all done things that we're not proud of. We've all walked through things as a result of what we did in the past. And each and every single one of us, we tell ourselves a story. That because of what we're struggling with, because of what we did, that because of what we're walking through, that we don't belong. That because of what we did, we're excommunicated, but because of how long we've been gone, we can never come back. And we live with a fear that we are unloved. Unloved by people, unloved by God, unloved by God's people. And it's just simply not true. It's not who God is. God loves with a love that is unconditional. And I know it's really, really deep, so let me break it down for you. Unconditional means that there's no conditions. means there's no yeah buts. See, you you say, well, I understand you love me, yeah, but you don't understand. No, there's no, there's, there's, there's no yeah buts. There, there's, there's no conditions that God gives us for his love. And as a result of us, the church, receiving his love, we turn around and our goal is to love unconditionally as well. What do we love? We love you. We love you in the same way that God loves you, with no yabats, yeah with no conditions. You are loved. That's how this church family loves one another. It's with a love that has no conditions. You know, I talked to a friend this week and, and I called and checked in on her and I know she was struggling. She's been going through something difficult. and It's been hard on her, it's been hard on her family. And I just said, you know what, God put you on my heart. And I just wanted to call and see how you're doing. I, I couldn't tell sometimes because our church is continuing to grow and, and I don't always get, to get around to see everybody. I wasn't sure if she'd been at church lately or not, but God, God put her on my heart because I missed her. I so just want to see how you're doing. I know, that, I, know that, I know that things are still difficult right now. And she shared, she said, you know what, Aaron, the thing is, she said, I know I, I haven't been there, and I know, I've, I know I've kind of pulled back. She said, I'm just so tired of this situation that I'm going through. My family's tired of it. And I just don't think anybody wants to hear about it anymore. And I said to her, I said, I do. I want to hear about it. I said, the truth is, I love you. I love you and I'm I'm ready to listen. And I know that your church family is ready to listen too. We love you. You are absolutely loved. And at the end of the conversation, I said, listen to me. Don't ever leave me, don't ever leave your church family out. We love you. We wanna walk with you through this. We know it's hard your family. and Family doesn't give up on family. That's why I love the Bible says the church is a family. Once you're in, you're in. And each of you needs to know today, you are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. You say, well, I don't, I don't believe in God. That's okay. He believes in you. He believes in you. And scripture says this in Ephesians 2. You're a member of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong. No yabats, yeah, no conditions, no fine print. You belong in God's household. You belong together with us. When you're here, you're family, as the great Olive Guardians say. It's true. And if you're still struggling, let me say this to you. I can be me when I'm connected to those who believe in me. And you need to know that that's a truth for your life that we believe in you, and that God believes in you. Let's pray. Father, today I know that this room, all across this room, there's a representation of hurt that we carry, there's rejections that we carry, and there's weaknesses that each and every single one of us have. And each and every single one of us is afraid to be found out. We're afraid that we're gonna get hurt again we're, gonna, we're afraid that if we put ourselves out there, we'll be rejected. We're afraid that somebody's going to find out we're weak in some area of our lives. And God, I know that every single one of those fears stems from some pain. And I just pray that in Jesus' name, you would heal every hurt and every heart. And God, that you would go beyond healing it, that you would transform every heart. And that we ultimately, God, that those pains that have kept us afraid, that you would use them for our good and for your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we take steps of faith towards being transparent, God, that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the hope, that you would give us the faith that it takes to step out and to get in to, to find a crew, to enlist an army, and beyond those things, to, before we can ever do those two things, is to simply embrace that we are loved. Mm. That you love us. That you're for us. And that there's a whole group of people here in this church that because you have loved us, we in turn love. Not just you, but we love them. So Lord, I pray you be with us this week as we make decisions to expand the borders of our hearts, to love, to get in relationship with people. Now there's those of you in this room, the very first decision you need to make is, is actually beyond those, that there's a decision you need to make to be in a relationship with God. He's the difference maker here, because many of you would say, Aaron, I've got an army of people around me. I've got myself a group. But without God, that's the great ingredient that you need to see your life transformed and changed. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done today, God loves you. No yabbats, no conditions. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love because he himself is love. And he sent his son Jesus to show you how much he loved you. Because Jesus in his death and resurrection demonstrated God's love for you because he in his own body took on the weight of you and I's decisions and our sins. He did all that so that you and I could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so if you're here today and the relational step is the one you need to take with God. I'm gonna pray a prayer. And it's a prayer of admitting your need for a savior, admitting that you have made mistakes, admitting your need for God in your life. And we rece- as we receive Jesus, that happens. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. Nobody here is going to embarrass you. But I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you're making that decision, would you just slip your hand up? Would you say, Aaron, that's me today? I'm going to do that. I'm going to join the prayer that you're going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to enter a relationship with Jesus. Do that now. Slip your hand up. Church, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Fill my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys. Can we celebrate with those that said yes to Jesus today? Now, listen, if you made that commitment today, if you took that step That's the most important step. The second most important step is understanding your journey, understanding what God has for you. And and we've prepared something for you. It's four steps or four classes that we've prepared for you called growth track. And growth track happens every Sunday during our second service. That's this service right now in the conference room right here down the hall. And we would love for you to, to understand, hey, this is what God has for you. Because really, if you're brand new to this, we know that you don't know. We, we want to help you get connected to a church, even if it's not this one. I believe that, that another easy way for you to, to get connected with people is to get connected to a church. We want you to understand how God has made you, just like David said, complex. He's made you specifically and wired you specifically to do a specific thing. We would love to show you what that looks like and what we believe God's called you to to do and how you can be a part of that here at this church. And then we'd love to get you connected to a team so that you can begin making a difference because your greatest need in life is to allow God to make a difference in you, but then for you to take that love and to make a difference in someone else's life. And so I wanna encourage you, Growth Track starts on the first Sunday of every month. It's it's steps one, two, three, and four coincide with the first, second, third, and fourth Sunday of the month. And I'd love for you to join us in that so that you can, you can walk that path of God's plan for your life. So you made a commitment today for Jesus. Make a commitment to follow through and see what Jesus has for you. Amen. A couple things I'm going to announce for you before I, uh, before I let you go and we receive our offering. First thing is that tonight at 6 o'clock is prayer. The band will be back here. I'll be back here. Listen, start your week off the best way. Start it off with a time of prayer. Say, Aaron, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. We will be here to guide you through an hour of prayer, and we would love for you to join us. Uh, an hour flies by really, really quick. So please come and join us tonight, six o'clock in this place. Child care is provided for you. So if you need that, we will provide that. And also, I already announced it, but Growth Track has been running during the first service. So if you missed it, Growth Track is moving to second service from here on out. So if you've been taking Growth Track and need to finish it, know that it's now during second service for everybody. And, uh, or if you, if you need to start it, that, that's when you'll do that, all right? All right, well, let me do this. Let me pray over us. Know that if you came here today with, a, with a, an offering or your tithes and you wanna give those, there's multiple ways for you to give. You can give through the website on our Simple Church app or even text 84321 with any dollar amount. and It'll walk you through the process to do that. Uh, My wife and I prefer that method of giving. Or there's a give box in the back of the room on your way out today. If the Lord's touched your heart and said, hey, I would like to give something, then you can do that with the offering envelopes there in the seat back in front of you, or you can drop it uh, directly, and you can drop it into that give box there on your way out. But uh, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for all you're doing in us. Thank you for your word that challenges us to go beyond what we're comfortable with, because I know that as we step into the light, as we step into those things, Lord, that you're going to grow us personally relationally, spiritually, and in every way. What you have for us is better than what we're currently holding on to, so Lord, we surrender it to you. I pray, God, that, that the offering that we receive, Lord, would continue to be a blessing to all those that we serve. Lord, help us to make a difference that is greater than one we've ever made with every dollar that we receive, not just here in Reynoldsburg, not just here in this nation, but across the world. Lord, we love you and thank you for an opportunity to be generous bless it as we receive it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I'll be here at this altar with my team to pray with you if you need anything. Other than that, God bless you guys. We will see you back here next week.